0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Bell Ringer podcast hosted by Sixers Wire of USA Today's Sports Media Group. I am your host, the editor of the Sixers Wire site, Kai Carlin. I got my guy with
1: me, Cameron Fields. Cam, how are you today, my man? Man, I'm doing all right. Yeah, hey, uh, I had a weekend project of putting up this basketball hoop me and my brother got uh, very, very difficult. Uh, definitely took Friday through Sunday at my brother's he really helped us out a lot so shout out to Eddie shout out to the uh Bradford Park neighborhood as well for some of our neighbors helping out with tools and all of that so yeah how about you <laughs>
0: Everything was good on my end, man. I mean, other than everything, the craziness is going on across the country. But for the most part, great. Got to see my girlfriend for the first time in two months. So that was always a good thing. Now, today, guys, we have a very special guest with us today. He writes for Bleacher Report and the Associated Press, covering all things Nets and, you know, all that stuff up there going on up there in New York. My guy, Michael Scoto. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, what's up, Kai? How are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you uh, on your end, you know, as we all try to survive a sportsless world right now?
2: Uh, well, now nowadays Barclays is uh, more hopping because of the protests instead of uh, basketball games. It's certainly a different world that we're in right now, and a sad one at that. But. Yes. Uh, it's nice to talk some basketball with you guys, have a little change of pace from what's what's going on at the moment right now.
0: Agreed. Definitely agreed on that. So we might as well just jump right into it. So over the weekend, the NBA held a board of governors call to kind of, you know, figure out what the next step is as the league tries to resume the 2019-20 season that has been on hold since March 12th due to the global coronavirus pandemic. They, it seemed that they, they kind of took a step forward, guys. I mean, they, they Adam Silver kind of came out with a target date he was like, July 31st is kind of the idea that was put out there over the weekend. They're like, hey, uh, that's probably the date for us to kind of get going again. Mike, I'll start with you. Do you think July 31st is a date that like that, that is a very feasible thing to really accomplish?
2: I think it's feasible in the sense that it kind of has to be because if you want to fit, it depends what they want to do in terms of fitting in, whether it's regular season games or not, or if they're going straight to the playoffs, a play-in tournament. At the end of the day, the ultimate goal for the NBA is to set up more towards uh, a late December, possible Christmas type of a return, or maybe um, close to the start of the new calendar year and leave themselves the possibility that maybe by then, maybe you can have fans in the stands and maybe wishful thinking to some, but you have to give yourself that, that opportunity, at least, um, especially when you think about revenue and things like that, you know, the, the many different concepts of the bubble ideas, and whatnot and keeping everybody safe uh, as best they can in one location it's going to be tricky there's there's a lot to figure out and there are a lot of logistics you know it's ironic you think about the end of july and and, and in a normal time you'd be having vegas summer league early in july and You know, moving forward now for the future, does that become uh, the Vegas Fall League now? You know, it's almost like baseball in a sense. Um, So there's a lot of stuff to figure out still. But I I think with, you know, the league looking at that in in a late July time period, I, I think it's pretty consistent with what they had envisioned even from the start as by a time they could eventually get back. Hopefully it comes to fruition, but there's still a lot of variables to work out here, certainly.
0: Oh, Cam, I have a question for you to kind of piggyback off of that, because obviously you do yep. a lot of work covering like the Cleveland Cavaliers and stuff like that for Cleveland.com. I had a question for you, like that July 31st date and for a team like the Cavaliers who, you know, they're still they're not going to make the playoffs. Or they're out of it. Right. Have you talked to. Have Any uh, thought about the Cavaliers and their thoughts of even coming back at at, at that time?
1: Yeah. um, Larry Nash Jr. recently, um, Cleveland Media spoke with him on a Zoom call, and he was saying, like, hey, I want to play. You know, he wants – yeah, of course he wants it to be safe, um, but he definitely wants to play. So um, I think the Cavs do want to get back to it. And I saw, too, before we got on this call, report about all 30 teams, like, want to get in. But obviously, you know, that's not really – feasible um the idea the report of about 22 teams being that max level for it so you know the Cavs Larry Nance Jr he wants to come back and play but uh, it's looking likely that you know that's not going to be the case for some of the leagues low lower level teams
0: I just don't see the point like like for the teams that are completely out of it like say the Golden State Warriors for example you know you know they're they're 15 and 51 They've had a tough season because of the injuries to Clay and Steph, right, right. lost Durant the offseason. You know, like, I, I don't see a point, you know, to, to, to come back and just play, like, five or six games and then, you know, that's it. You're going home. The only teams that I feel like should even, like, even want to come back are the playoff teams, teams like, you know, Milwaukee, the Lakers, the Clippers, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Orlando. Teams that are, like, have right, – that are right, in right, the playoffs. Now, right. now, Mike, I did see the GM survey – 16 of the 30 GMs said that they just kind of want to go straight to the playoffs. Did, and I saw some of the players say, hey, we should probably place like a couple games first before we do that. I think Gordon Hayward said something about that. What do you think? I mean, I mean, it, it, like if if these teams should probably go straight to the playoffs or do you think that, hey, you should they should probably get some regular season games in? Like, I, I don't really know.
2: Well, first off, you got to look at it from a couple of perspectives. I think if you're Adam Silver and you got teams like the Portland Trailblazers and the New Orleans Pelicans in the 9 and 10 spots, and superstar players like Damian Lillard and Zion Williamson not, yeah. potentially not playing games. If you're if you're the league and you're only basing your revenue going forward right now on television, and you can't get fans in the stands, and you can't open up you know certain arenas that you normally would. I think there would be a strong push to have a guy like a Zion Williamson and a Damian Lillard on TV. More people will want to watch those type of players, especially a guy like Zion. Um, but if they went straight to the playoffs, those teams aren't going to make it. And, you you know, you look in the West, that's a little bit – I think you also got to look at it from two different lenses because in the West yeah. you got teams that are much closer to the playoffs and, uh, you know, good for Memphis hanging on to the eight seed, right? You know, currently as of today it's three and a half games. And that's another thing you got to look at, the half game. You know, some people it's not an even number of games that every team has played to this point. And in the East, um, there's just such a dramatic drop off from the eight seed that you're looking at this and it's almost, I think, more to your point. than what's the point? You know, you've got Orlando in that last spot and then after them is Washington. And you're talking about a gap of, you know, five, five games or so. I think it's
0: five and a half.
2: Yeah. So at, at that point, and, and you know, Charlotte then is after that and there's seven out. So it it really doesn't move the needle that much in the East. I think much more in the West. Um, I get, I get Gordon Hayward's perspective, as you mentioned about maybe wanting to play a few more games if possible, but on the flip side of that, well, what are those, why would they, why, if you're going to go to the playoffs, why would you have those teams playing games? That doesn't make sense. And if you do the play-in tournament, yeah. it does. The flip side of that, if you're a team like Memphis or, you know, let's say Orlando at this point, you're so – well, not at Memphis, but more Orlando. You're, you're pretty decently ahead at this point
1: mm-hmm. in
2: terms of the standings. Now, if you do a play-in tournament and you lose that spot, what's the rationale right. there? Again, as
1: we talk
2: top – there's, there's a lot of variables here, and ultimately not everybody is going to be sunshine and rainbows with all this proposal, um, however it goes down. You, you touched on the Warriors. If I'm the Warriors, for example, there's no way I want to play. And even if you do, right. you think Steph Curry's going to play? No way. You're going to worsen your odds in the, in the lottery to get a higher pick. You don't want to expose him to injury separate from COVID-19 exactly it, it just it's it doesn't make sense you know if anything at that point you punt the rest of the season as you know they would say like in football
0: you're right like, and I, I see like it would, and again it would make it makes sense for the Western Conference because you mentioned all those teams are so close to Memphis and like Portland yeah. could and Portland was just getting Yusuf Nurkic back I think Nurkic was actually scheduled to play in Portland's next game and then you know the suspension hit so and Portland that- was actually was that Portland was actually about to get healthy I mean, the Blazers. I think that Collins was supposed to come back soon too. Collins was supposed to come back. So if you look at the Blazers, like, and I think, and I, and that's why I get what Damian Lillard was saying to Chris Haynes, uh, I think last week or whatever, when he said, "If my team doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs, then I'm not playing." Which I get it. Like, you want to make the playoffs. So the in-season tournament, that like this little play-in tournament, really only makes sense for the uh, the Western Conference. Because in the East, as you said, Washington, five and a half out, Charlotte, seven out, Chicago's like eight out, Detroit and New York, they're like ten or eleven games out. There's no point, but for the Western Conference, there is so do you have like do you have a playing tournament for just the West and like have the Eastern conference teams like see see that, see that that's that's the tough yeah, yeah. part
2: you can't you can't separate those two in that way, but one, one thing when you look at like those bottom teams, you know why would a team like let's say Cleveland like in, in Cameron's case? maybe care about that two reasons one developing young guys get more games under their belt theoretically and two you know losing more games getting a higher pick um i think ultimately it would be interesting if those type of teams did come back and they did bring all 30 and then those bottom you know lottery odds changed a little bit It would certainly move the needle in that regard, even though it's a a weaker draft. But all all this stuff, everything about when they come back and and, and how they finish the rest of the season. My mind is always looking long term. And I'm thinking to myself, again, the the Vegas Summer League, that could become like, is that become a fall league? You're going to do free agency what now? Closer to uh, the month of Halloween? You know, right. over <laughs> right. by by then you you know trick or treat. You got a free agent or not? <laughs> and, then, and then Christmas. Um, by then. You know, those were always like big Christmas Day games for the NBA. That always seemed like in the back of the league's mind, it was something they were maybe trying to angle towards. Now, obviously, this is a whole different ballgame. No one could have foreseen COVID-19 coming. But right. in a way, it you know, kills two birds with one stone. You could get an opportunity to do that and, and see how that type of a uh, schedule would relate. And for us... You know, we wouldn't have a normal, traditional summer where you you have like pretty much all of August on downtime for workers and reporters and team members and things like that. Your whole summer and lifestyle changes too. A lot of factors, but I don't think people realize.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I take my I take my vacation in August, man. I went down to Florida last August, and then you know that's going to get all changed and everything.
1: I, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I know, I know, Kai. Hey, I know some of the guys too have talked about like, hey. I like the regular schedule with, you know, the summer being open. Yeah, I saw a lot of people were saying that too. And, and, yeah. But, like, I think it was – was it uh,
0: Atlanta Hawks owner who who came out and said, I'd rather have the NBA, like, start in December because I don't want to compete with the NFL? Because, I, like, like that's kind of something that, like, teams It was, teams so, it was
1: someone. I mean, I don't think it's too much of a problem, though, in terms of competing with the NFL. I mean, the NFL is going to make their money. Uh, they're, they're, the NBA, I think, is the number two – and it's going to be, I think, the number one sport in America relatively soon. I mean, yeah, the NFL is always going to make their money. But I think that the fan, I think the fan base is there in terms of, you know, NBA and the, the interest.
0: Well, I just really hope that like at, at some point we can get fans back in the arena. And then that kind of goes back to what Mike was saying, um, like in his original point, the NBA kind of wants to drag this thing out as much as they can to where like they can at least start the season with some type of. Fan and the stand type of experience, whether it be like forty percent and then it kind of grows up or something. They want to at least have something there in terms of revenue right. and such. With with that being said, I kind of wanted to like like switch over to to something here because I Mike the, the the Brooklyn Nets are are in a spot to where like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant could potentially come back this year, even though everybody says no. Now see, I know you're smiling because like, I'm sure I'm sure you get asked this all the time, and I'm sure this is a topic that like becomes recurring in your line of work. So. Kyrie and KD, what do Sean Marks and, and, and the Nets do with them this year, like if the season can return?
2: I, I think knowing Sean Marks, his, his whole mindset is always playing it safe and looking towards the future. Now, this is one th- – there's two ways to look at it. With Kyrie and KD, you have them here. You've got them for a few years, but it's limited. And if you're going to not have this season, that pretty much takes you to two more seasons and then they have the options on the fourth year that you know for sure you're gonna have. You never know what can happen during those two seasons. If theoretically they came back as the seventh seed, that would be scary for anybody. And ironically, Brooklyn and Toronto is always a good series. Durant, oh, yes. when we, you know, when we've been in practices up in uh, the HSS training center, you know, Durant Durant's shown some flashes, but of being able to shoot and whatnot, but little stuff. He he wouldn't he wouldn't put right. so much out there. Then sometimes you see videos on either Instagram or Twitter that get out there with him working out. But at, at the end of the day, for Kyrie's shoulder injury was really it really hampered him. He he couldn't move as well as he wanted to and, and be the player that we saw earlier in the year. You know, even like when he was dropping 50 a couple of times during the year, but If they were able to come back, sure, that'd be wonderful. For the Nets, because you could surprise a lot of teams that way. And you would get to see, one of the things I know that frustrated management was they didn't get an opportunity to really see Kyrie, Karis, LaVert, Dimwitty, all these guys playing together. I think maybe they were, I'd have to look back, but there were maybe a handful of games. I want to say less than 10 where that team was fully healthy and they've had a problem judging what pieces are going to fit. And I know you guys saw the, the stuff about, oh, the internal discussions about Bradley, Bill, and things like that. I would say one thing about the Nets and, and Sean Marks and those guys. They always have those internal discussions. Even a year before, even when they got Durant and Kyrie, some people there were, you know, we, we would all like toss around ideas. Oh, well, what if, what if you make this trade? Do you, do you go for the gusto now and, and try to, to set it up? But they knew they weren't going to have Durant, so you wait and see what Kyrie and some of those younger guys look like. Is Garris Levert the third star? I know when he was in Philly going in the playoffs, he looked like it. He was the best player for the Nets during that series when they were in the playoffs. He was. He, better was. Than, he was better than uh, D'Angelo Russell. He, he, Russell showed flashes but wasn't consistent. Levert was the best guy that they had. And Spencer Dinwiddie, you could argue, could have been an all-star this year if he would have been the star of the whole season – and Kyrie wasn't there. He's, he's developed his game too. So um, it, it's going to be interesting, but with, with guys like Jared Allen, for example, you're going to have to pay him eventually. And then his sure. contract yeah. is going to come up too. And I think they're going to have to make somewhat of a budget decision too there. How far, you know, Joe Sy has said it; he'll go over the tax and, and, and I expect them to do that with Joe Harris. But when that starts to add up after a while, do there's a healthy Kyrie, a healthy Dinwiddie, and a healthy Levert click. Not necessarily on the court. That that three guard lineup, I, I don't think it meshes as well as people would want it to. So do you maybe get another front court player? I know they had previously thrown reports or speculation out there about Aaron Gordon. I don't think personally he's a better player than Dinwiddie. I think you need Dinwiddie, especially given Kyrie's injury history. But if you want to take a chance, it's an option.
0: I see. I'm always very interested, though, to like, think about that with Brooklyn because you have two legitimate superstars there with Kyrie Irving and uh, Kevin Durant. Like when those two are healthy, I mean, they're absolutely incredible. What really, you know, interests me, though, is Philadelphia is a team that has, also has two legitimate stars, maybe not superstars per se, but two very good players and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And everybody would love to see that matchup of Simmons maybe guarding Durant or Embiid kind of guarding the rim and going up against Allen or blocking a Kyrie Irving layup, something like that. And and the two and those stars kind of going at it. Um, I know you. I know you. You said you had some Philly thoughts. I, I kind of wanted wanted to give you the floor real quick uh, and your thoughts on, on the Sixers.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, you know you talk about those matchups. I tell you, nothing was better than Jared Dudley and Ben Simmons. How many? <laughs> For the <laughs> eight. And Jared, and and Jared, he loved it. He soaked it in went, yeah, with, the, with <laughs> the arms out with the three. Yep. He was so cheeky and hilarious. <laughs> I, I love when he shoved Embiid. And just that made it, that was the best series to me in terms of just drama, comedy, and, <laughs> and good like good play back and forth. And, you know, and, you know first of all, here's saw nobody that... That killed yeah. yeah. it. But when I look at the Sixers now, the Al Horford signing has not. Yeah. We, we all know it's not come to fruition. Mm-mm. The makeup of that team. I loved Jimmy Butler on that team. I'd almost make a case that having Jimmy Butler would have been better than Josh Richardson and Al Horford combines just because of the fit. And I think Josh Richardson is a nice player. I really do. You know, Tobias. One thing I'd say about Philly going down that that roster. When I look at Tobias. People view him differently now that he's getting max money. You know? right. if, yep. that, that That nothing about his game changed, but the price value made people now view him differently. I just think when I look at those two with Simmons and Embiid, it's interesting. They're two star players. Embiid, I think, is a superstar. Ben Simmons, certainly an all-star. I think Ben... If he continues to develop his shooting, I know we, we saw a couple of three-pointers, but if he ever really hones in, just give me a mid-range. Just give me a mid-range, elbow extended. Um, then I think you can even really put him into the superstar category. Because in the playoffs, you got teams like Boston who can shrink the paint, and right. it, it changes his whole dynamic. Um, the you look at their roster on paper, the starting five is among easily the top five in basketball, if not better than that, but they don't click, and I think Brett Brown has had a tough time maximizing them. you know he was the thing about Brett Brown I'm curious of he's a you know he's a good coach, but can he take the elite talent we, we've seen him develop guys and and through those tough years, it's almost like Kenny Atkinson, okay, now can you take those guys and bring them? to the next level. Kenny never even got that shot with Durant and Kyrie. Right. Um, and you know, I, I've got some feelings on that too, I'm sure. But <laughs> with, with Brett, you have those guys, you have them last playoffs and it's, it's ironic. One bounce from Kawhi Leonard could change everything. And yeah, now and a lot the whole dynamic of that yeah. team shifted because of that. And I, I don't ever, Know fully if Ben Simmons and MB are going to click as easily. I want to see Embiid in the post more definitely.
0: It's kind of tough to do so though because Cam and I have had this discussion all the time. It's it's, it's, it's kind of like the reason why MB is taking so many threes and and taking so many jumpers is because your point guard can't shoot. So it, it kind of you have to kind of spread the floor in, in some type of way. And and that's why and I, and Cam, I actually I read your post over the weekend about moving Ben off the ball at a potential Celtics oh, wow. series, and it, it makes a ton of sense because. Ben is six foot ten, and he's a Brett very Brown. good fin- he's a very good finisher around the rim. And yeah. it kind of comes down to a point where maybe Brett Brown is realizing finally that like, hey, maybe he's not going to take a bunch of jump shots a game. And and he and Brett then came out and uh, admitted that he failed in trying to get Ben to shoot jump shots. He, he admitted it. He was like, I've ha- I've failed. I mean, I, I don't know what, what more to do anymore. So move him off the ball. Maybe have jo- the ball in Josh Richardson's hand more. There was talk of moving Al Horford to the bench and moving a guy like Shake Milton in the starting lineup and having Milton, you know, spread the floor a little bit more. Um, he was absolutely terrific on that road trip uh, right before Corona hit. So I know they like Shake Milton a lot. So the, the team is – the Sixers are a weird team. Ellen Brand definitely should not have given Al Horford $109 million. If this was 2005, nope. it would be great. It's not though. It's 2020, and the game is different. The game is d- way different. You know, Cam, I was actually watching the 2005 Finals the other day. Like, like okay. kind of, you know, kind of popped up on like you know the NBA TV's right. games and stuff. And I think the halftime score of Game Five between Detroit and San Antonio was like
1: 42 to 38. Like, oh like, like, goodness, something like that. And so <laughs> much, de- so much defense, though, too. Right. Like, both teams are playing so much defense. And then also,
0: you look at the the lineups of both those teams. San Antonio had Duncan at power forward and Nazi Muhammad at center. And then Detroit had huge. Huge. And then Detroit had the Wallaces. So, it's like huge. You don't see that in 2020. And and for Elton Brand to think Al Horford was going to work here for $109 million, I think Elton Brand deserves a little uh, blame, you know, for the situation that's going on there right now.
1: I mean, like, Mike said you know clearly the Al Horford experiment has not worked uh as you just mentioned you know putting Al Horford on the bench could be a a good solution possibly bringing in a shake because it's like hey Al Horford's at the point in his career where it's like you might be better off the bench in some situations and this is a situation where I feel like he could be you put in a another shooter another ball handler like uh shake Milton into the lineup you put Ben Simmons at the four. You run Tobias at three, and then you have Shake and Josh in the backcourt. You can have Ben Simmons in a lot more um, off-ball actions. And I think with Boston, if you can give them different look and, you know, challenge their coverages, especially inside, then that can kind of start to open things up for Philly because um, a lot of times, you know, Ben attacks from the top of the arc. And, you know, that's fine because he's a very powerful, very um, quick guy off the dribble. But with Boston, they have so much length. They have so much depth to their defense that you have to give them a different look. You have to be like, okay, we're going to do this to you now. We're going to do this. We're going to try this. And you have to get that offense to open up in some shape or form.
0: Yeah, they're going to have to figure it out. I mean, it's, it's definitely something that, like, you know, you paid Al Horford $109 million. You don't want to pay him $109 million just to have him come off the bench. But True. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Right. Like, no, like also, that's if, always they
2: won, if they won, nobody would care. That's a he good championship. point. Nobody yeah. cares, ultimately.
0: He's right. right. He's right. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, winning cures all. Now, right. Mike, in this truncate, very truncated offseason that, like, we're about to embark on, like, whenever this season does, you know, officially wrap up, mm-hmm. is there a chance you think that Philly could maybe move Horford? Because I, I saw Sacramento had interest in him uh, in the off season, Or there, <laughs> there, there was, like, another thing. Sacramento, Sacramento loves center. throwing money at people.
2: Sacramento, Sacramento is a weird team. If you're an, you know, if you're an average role player, like Corey Joseph got paid, Dwayne Denman got paid, all these guys just break the bank. Harrison Barnes, really good player, got paid a little extra there too. Right. Um, I, I look at Al Horford. Uh, you'd have to attach. You'd have to attach something with him. I, I don't think a lot of teams are. Yeah. And and the other thing is like, well, you don't know, have really good draft picks to to throw in there. So what what are you gonna do? You're gonna throw in what Josh Richardson? What what player are you throwing that that moves the needle? Now I would have to I. This is just me off the top of my head. What if it was like Al Horford and um, Ben Simmons, and you traded them to like? Oh, I could not even do that to Portland. I was gonna say I, like you would have to move Simmons. You would have to move Simmons in that.
0: You really would. Like, at some yeah. point, it, like, you would have to attach something to his contract. And actually, I kind of was looking at the Sixers, I guess, assets that, that they could move. And the only guys, like, the only things I could really come up with were Josh Richardson and Matisse Theibel, who they're definitely not trading because he's having a terrific rookie season, and probably Zaire Smith. And nobody wants Zaire Smith right now. He do, He doesn't exactly have any type of trade value but because... I- because he's been in Delaware this whole time and he hasn't proven anything at the NBA level. And he's also been hurt. So the Sixers are kind of in a tough spot with Horford because they, they really, as we've discussed on here, he hasn't fit. You, you don't want to bring him off the bench, but as Michael said, if they win all, all that crap goes out the window and people come, people will be fine.
2: But you know, what? unless one thing I would just say about Al, is his intangibles as a veteran leader and having that playoff experience off the bench. You can use that. And if MB gets hurt, it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Sorry, Cam, go ahead.
1: Oh, you're, you're Unless like I was just thinking too, um, you can go back maybe to the Atlanta Hawks, but still a trade there would be tough because it's like, Hey, who are the Atlanta Hawks going to be willing to part with? You know, they're still young and they're building process, but having someone like Al Horford um, you know, give Trey Young, get the ball to him and all that, uh, have a spacing option, you know, Clint Capella's there to run the rim, and you got John Collins, too. Uh, Al Horford, he could potentially fit in that mix, but it might just be a hey, too many, you know, combination of, like, veterans, young players, and uh, it might not be the right fit, but that, I feel like that could potentially work just because Al Horford um, is still mobile. He can shoot still, and I think he'd be okay with Trey Young.
0: Honestly, I, had, I did think about Atlanta, like a little bit, but then the Hawks have Clint Capella now, so it was kind of like right. whatever. Whenever Capella gets right. healthy, they just throw him out there. But I did briefly right. think about Atlanta. Um, another thing, and and I guess we'll kind of wrap it up with this right here. Brooklyn, Philadelphia, if they were to match up in the playoffs, like a, a, at some point maybe next year, like with with a healthy, you know, Kyrie and KD, and, let, and let's let's say Kyrie and KD are being good citizens and being good models of we're going to listen to coaches and everything else up there in Brooklyn. And then they kind of fit into everything. Who Who's in a better spot to win a title? Like the, the Nets because they have the, the superstars or Philly because they, they, they got uh, stars as well and they got a nice, even though it doesn't fit, a nice supporting cast around them.
2: I think you can make the case it would be the Nets because with Durant and Kyrie, that's one thing, but their bench if you still have Dimwitty and you still have Levert, Joe Harris, Torian Prince at that point is coming off the bench too. Um, that's a that's a deep team, and you got DeAndre Jordan and Jordan Allen, uh, Jared Allen rather, in in the middle. And DeAndre could guard at least be better on the block because he's physically stronger. You know, in anything beyond the arc, probably not. But that said. I I would think maybe on paper, Brooklyn. Now, I'm sure a lot of people would say, well, Durant's coming back from the Achilles. Who knows? There's those variables. I'd be curious if Ben Simmons guarded Durant or Kyrie. I think that would be one thing that's interesting. But, again, Levert has proven to have success against that team. Dinwiddie, too. Brown always talked about pick and roll, downhill, killed them. Um, So, And that's what Dinwiddie does when he's at his best instead of taking step back three-pointers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah uh, but I, I I think I think it would be a compelling series. I'd love to see it. Th- that said, it makes me even think about briefly just like this season's, Championship aspirations. If I, if I'm a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo or LeBron, I'd, I'd love to see those guys match up in the finals.
0: Me too. Like like if like if I were to have a dream finals this year, e- even though there's going to be no fans in the stands to like even react to anything, which will kind which kind of takes away from the playoff atmosphere and the electricity of it. But we're still going to get great basketball no matter what because those are two great great players. I would love to see Milwaukee and the Lakers go at it like in the finals this year. You know, just see Giannis go at it and LeBron. And, but I do That'd believe, be cool. though, I do believe, that, I do believe the Clippers are a deeper team, though. Like, like, the Lakers may have the best player in the game right now, along with Anthony Davis. But for me, the Clippers are just a little
1: bit more deeper. Like, if
0: I had to pick, I'd probably take the Clippers. What, you, what, about, what about you, Ken, real quick? You, you can get the
1: final. point today. I, I feel like, you know, yeah, the Clippers definitely are deep. But I think that I, I'm not totally sure if their they're depth like the talent of their death is, you know, that much better than the Lakers death as it is. You know, I, I think that the Lakers used their death very well. Alex Caruso towards, you know, before the season was paused, he was really coming into his own. KCP, uh, Contavious Cowell Pope, he was really kind of blooming into his role, um, coming off the bench being that three and three and deep player. So I think that and then Kuzma, I mean, yeah, he was still being very inconsistent and I think that he would be the difference if he could you know provide consistent play then the Lakers I feel like would be the, the favorite like the clear favorite but right, right now I feel like it's still a toss-up because the Clippers um I don't I don't think they're yeah they have depth but Reggie Jackson is he going to come through in a big moment um you know is, is that going to happen so it's like hey you can have depth but are they actually going to be good for you in the most important moments so I think that that's the key there.
0: As somebody who's from Michigan and keeps a lot of close tabs on the Detroit Pistons, I would probably trust Reggie Jackson. It's a little bit more than Catavius Caldwell Pope. I'm just saying,
1: I mean, I, fair, I don't trust fair KCP enough, but all. like, I, I think that, I think that KCP, I thought he was doing very, very well. I mean, yeah, he started the season rough, but I thought that he was doing very well from like around maybe February, like gen, like late January, February, or
0: I don't like ACP. And I, I, I never really liked his game. So <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up right there. Michael, I wanna thank you a lot, man, for taking time out of your your day to join us, talk talk some hoops a little bit. And we hope you are healthy and, and safe up there in Brooklyn. And uh we'll talk we'll talk to you another time, man. I appreciate that fellas. Thank Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Stay safe, of course. So for Stay Cam safe. for Cam, for Mike, I'm Kai. We're out. We'll see you guys next time on the Bell Ringer. back.